0: Welcome back to our study of the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter 3, and we're looking at verse 9 and 10. Let's start our reading in chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this great privilege that is mine to pray, to teach, to be involved, Lord, in the instruction of the young people who may be listening. Oh, dear God, please from them raise up a generation. Raise up, Lord, a godly, strong, beautiful, Christ-like generation of people who will carry the torch not only here in our land, but to unknown lands, the torch of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, please work And I pray, Lord, that you would make them strong in the word, make them wise in the word. I pray that they would be transformed and bear the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. I pray, Lord, that not only would they be filled with the spirit, but Lord, that they have a special unction and a strength to preach and to stand and to proclaim, to evangelize, to carry the gospel. Oh, dear God, the world facing them is very strong. But its strength is nothing compared to yours. So with your own strength, Lord, help your people. Raise up your own right hand, Lord, and be their aid. Oh, dear God, please, and use this time at this moment to help them. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned in the last study, in verses uh, five through eight, we are taught about trusting in the Lord, trusting in him. Simply, you know, there's an old hymn that says trust and obey. And so when we come to verse nine and ten, we need to see this, this thing about honoring the Lord with our wealth in the context of trusting the Lord. Um, one of the things that, as we pointed out, that is is so hard to turn over to another is our finances. But the Lord wants us to trust him in that area also. I want you to look at yourself at times as uh, uh, a whole bunch of different parts of you, areas of your life, whether it's, it's finance or, or whatever. And then look that each one of those need to be overcome by the sovereignty of God. Little by little, entrusting more and more of yourself, your life, your activities, your your dreams, everything about you to the Lord, knowing that all those things are better in his hands than in yours. Oh, young people, listen to me. He is so wise, so strong, so faithful that in everything that's going to be facing you in the next few years, trust him. You know, don't. Don't have ambition for yourself, except this. Lord, what would you have your servant do? What do you want me to be? How do you want me to live? And then search for the answer. Um, Not on top of a mountain with your legs crossed, humming. No, search for the answer in God's Word. In God's Word. Now. We went through verse nine, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first produce, uh, the first of all your produce. Now we're going to look at so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, again, I want you to remind you just what the book of Proverbs is about. And and I've said this before. Imagine a man who sits on a, a park bench in a busy city. And he sits there for a hundred years and he just watches. He watches what people do. He observes and then he watches the consequences of their actions. And in, in all those things, there will be exceptions, but there are also there are general rules. And that's what we're looking at in the book of Proverbs. For example, a violent man usually ends in a violent death. That isn't always the case. But if you look at the general rule, that is true. A person who gives themselves to wantonness, to lust, to sin, uh, usually live a very short life. That isn't always true. A man who is righteous in all his ways and who honors the Lord and submits to God's word in the different areas of his life, including finances, will usually prosper. And so that's what we're getting at in the book of Proverbs, that the godly man generally will have a life of prosperity and will generally avoid all the pitfalls that come from a life of disobedience. And yet I want you to know that these are not hard and fast promises, that if you give your tithe to the Lord, that you're going to become a millionaire. That's not the point of what's being said, because let's look at some exceptions. Who was uh, godlier or more devoted to the Lord than the Apostle Paul? We can't, with him, we can't talk about he gave a tithe. He gave everything. And yet he died a martyr. Uh, tradition tells us that his head was taken off by a sword. He suffered many things. And part of that, at times, was poverty. Look at Jeremiah, a man faithful in his proclamation of the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, and yet suffered a great deal. Look at Job. He was a righteous man, a man who believed God. And yet, he passed through terrible trials. Yes, he came out on the other end, prosperous again. But nonetheless, he passed through difficult times. So the purpose of Proverbs is not to tell us that God is like a, I don't know, some kind of vending machine. And if you put in enough coins and pull the right levers, everything's going to come out just like you want. That's not the point. The point is observation. And generally, generally, for example, A godly young man is going to avoid the dangers of a wicked young man, you see. Okay, so having said that, I also want to say something else. There is a way in which we can be um, very reactionary. It's true. We can overreact. And for the last, I don't know, several decades, well, I don't know, three or four decades, we see this prominence of what's called... the Prosperity gospel, in which these preachers on television and in great conferences, they talk about you know putting in your ten percent and God giving you a hundredfold and and all these different things. And if you're a Christian, you should recognize immediately this is this is a bad thing. This is horrible. That uh, it is not honoring to God. All we're seeing is a bunch of greedy people thinking they can do certain things and everything's going to turn out wonderful. And then there's this other group of preachers who aren't as maybe dramatic, but they're all about your best life now, following principles that will lead to a life of prosperity, of comfort, of ease. And none of that is the language of the older New Testament. None of it. The language of the Old and New Testament is... God is worthy and we're to live for his glory and that even though on this earth we may suffer terrible things, no one can snatch us out of his hands and waiting for us if we are faithful is a crown of glory. So we hold on to that. Yet at the same time, I want to be careful. We can overreact with regard to all these terrible things we see about prosperity and we can almost disdain um something that really is a biblical truth, that God does care for his people, and God can prosper his people. And he prospers us in different ways, that's for sure. But the Lord knows how to take care of his own. He knows how to bless. And there is a blessing to seeking to conform your life to his will. So don't ever deny that part. You know, so we got this one extreme over here. But don't go to the other extreme. Just simply look at what Scripture says. God will prosper his people. Now, having said that, God does promise to bless those who obey him in the matters of giving. And he even delights, the Bible says, in those who do give. Uh, Let me give you a verse in Malachi 3.10, but there's many throughout the entire Old Testament Bring the whole tithe into the storeroom so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. God's people under the old covenant were given laws with regard to tithing or 10%. And it was an act of worship. And it was a demonstration of not only trust in the Lord, but of submitting to his authority as king. Now, um, there's debate among some that in the New Testament, you know, is there a tithe? Is there not a tithe? And I I don't want to get into that with you. Talk to your father. Talk to your pastor. Um, But with regard to to me and my house, um, I struggled with this for many years and just came to this conclusion that uh, if in the Old Testament they tithe 10%, that that would be my starting point as a Christian, it wouldn't be like, "Oh, I did my ten percent; you get no more." But it would be that it should be a great warning to me if I give less in the new covenant that was given in the old. And so that's kind of a what I teach my children is: when you give ten percent to the Lord, great—you're <laughs> at least not robbing. But that's not necessarily the goal. Um, we want to be generous and if you if you start practicing generosity you know what you're going to see it is um it's delightful it's delightful and it brings great joy to see other people blessed by your giving great joy great joy some of the happiest people and i i want to use the word happy it may sound a little bit superficial but some of the happiest people i've ever met were people who were very, very generous. It seemed that other things in their personality just seemed to line up to that. So uh, regardless of the technicalities there, just know this. Be, as a Christian, a generous person. Be a generous person, not a foolish person. You need to give wisely. You need to study each situation and even consider the character of those who... Maybe asking something from you. There's so many things in the scriptures with regard to wise giving. But in your heart, in your mind, be a generous, generous person. Um, Also know this, that I believe that your giving begins with the household of God. With the household of God. And so supporting your local church that can collect the tithe or the giving for many different believers... And then there's a collective wisdom with regard to how to best use those funds for the glory of God and the good of his people. Now, I don't want to get into all that today because I'm just teaching the book of Proverbs. But what I want you to see is that in the Old Testament, God does promise in many, many places that he will prosper and care for the man who obeys him with regard to giving the man who is generous Now, I want us to look at a passage in in the New Testament so that you see that this is all just not an Old Testament thing. So let's go uh, to Second Corinthians for a moment. And I think there's a lot we can really learn from this text with regard to giving. And guess what? You know, you're not too young uh, to learn to be generous. You know, there's so many things you want to do. And when your parents say no to you, you go, but I'm old enough. I'm old enough. Well, let me give you something that I agree with you about. You're old enough to be generous. You're old enough to be kind. You're old enough to be devoted to the Lord. So don't use your youth as an excuse, as an excuse. Also, some of you maybe ought to think about labor, not as only a means to to gain money, but labor as a means to be able to be generous. And to give to participate with other generous people in the act of giving. Okay, let's look at, at 2 Corinthians nine, verse six. Paul is taking up an offering for um, for the saints in Jerusalem. There I go yawning again. But uh, the principles apply to giving to the church to all sorts of generosity. He says, "Now I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully." will also reap bountifully. Now, he may have the idea of giving money, giving resources generously, and reaping resources uh, or money uh, generously. But, But don't think of this just in terms of money. Money is a small thing compared to other things, that the graces that the Lord can give us. So now I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Um, reaping. Could it be money? Yes. Could God will prosper someone who, who is very generous. But you reap so many other things. Joy. Joy. When you see the the joy in someone else's heart who had a need. And now that need is met when you see them get on their knees and thank God and glorify God that he's met their need and you had a part in it. I mean, the reaping goes so beyond all these silly prosperity preachers. It is it's just the joy of knowing that the Lord used you. Now, um, each each one, verse seven, must do so as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver." Now, what is this saying and what is it not saying? It's not saying, wow, I'm not really joyful about this, so I'm not going to give. That's not the point. The point is, is that you need to be looking beforehand at the condition of your heart. Is your heart right with God? Do you have love for God? Do you have love for His people? Then when it when it is within your means and the opportunity arises and with wisdom you can administrate, it should be a joy in your heart to give. Now, he says, God loves a cheerful giver. Um, The word cheerful here is the word from which we get hilarious. And so people you'll also hear preachers say, you know, God loves a hilarious giver. No, he doesn't. That's not that's not what it means, because hilarity, uh, for the most part, has the idea of, of doing something just cast about by emotion and not controlled by wisdom. And, and no, God does not delight in a hilarious giver. Um, he delights in someone who cheerfully and wisely and and um, solemnly gives. Someone who's happy about it, but they've used a great deal of wisdom to discern, is this a right thing to do? I remember when I was a brand new Christian, you know, I would go around and I'd witness to people and and all kinds of stuff. And one day there was these two street guys and they had no place to live and everything. And so, you know, me, I'm wanting to be, you know, a real Christian. And so I have them come to my house and they stay in my house. But after a few days, I started noticing something. I would get up at five in the morning to go to work before school and all these different things and come home late from the library and they were just in the house. That's it. Not working, not doing anything. And I remember going to the youth minister at our church and going, I'm in this situation, you know, what should I do? And I'm thinking he's going to applaud me. And instead of applauding me, he goes, you know, you're in sin. You're aiding these men in their sin. You're allowing them to continue to be lazy and to feed off other people. They're grown men. They're not injured. They're mentally and physically capable. They just don't want to do anything. And I said, well, what do I do biblically? Well, biblically, you tell them straighten up or leave. And they left because they just didn't want to work. So when you give, when you give, you want to make sure that you give with a great deal of wisdom, not to help someone in their sin, but to help someone in righteousness. That's also one of the reasons why it's very wise and why we should give to our church, not only to support the activities of the church, but you see, when when the church gives, it oftentimes is giving based on a collective, informed decision led by elders and really studying the matter in the best way to use the funds to promote the ministry of the church, but also to promote other ministries and other other needs. So, um, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now, here's where I really want to focus. All right, this is so important. He talks about you need to give. And then he says, because God is able to make all grace abound to you, So that always having all sufficiency, he's saying, look, give freely, cheerfully, but with wisdom, always with wisdom, because God can take care of you and he can give you grace so that you have what is sufficient. You can have what you need. Now, look what he says, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance to spend on yourself. No, that's not what he says. You may have an abundance for every good deed. And this is what I, This is one of the things that I do believe that God can prosper his people. And I believe he does. And I believe he delights in helping his people. Not only to grow spiritually, but help them also with their physical needs, their um, economic needs. But here's something that I want you to see. It says that he, he is... Giving us that we have in an abundance, an abundance for every good deed. Now, what do I mean by that? God, we give. And God takes care of us. And he supplies not only our need, but he supplies an abundance. Why? So that we can continue giving. Um, an old preacher told me this one time. He goes, I shovel it out, God shovels it in, and God has a bigger shovel than I do. And, you know, there, there's a sense of being entrusted with things. Uh, some of you may want a big ministry, but are you trustworthy of a so called big ministry? Or you want to make a lot of money, but are you trustworthy to handle that, to administrate it? You see, we're stewards, we're administrators, that's all we are. And so we want to grow in wisdom in the word so that we can, if we're a preacher, we can administrate the truth, we can administrate in the church or, you know, someone who would prosper economically, that they could wisely administrate the funds for the blessing of God's people and God's work. Um, And so we give. God prospers and he prospers so that we can give. And, and, And look what it says, verse nine, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything. For what purpose? For all liberality. You see, that's the idea is is God gives us something. Let's let's take it out of the realm of money for a moment. God gives us a talent. And we use that talent for his glory and for the good of his people. He increases the talent, you see. Let's put it into the economic realm now. A man's working in business and God prospers him. And, and although he may use that prosperity in part for his home and a car and clothing and all the things that he should... He's a wise steward of that money, and as he increases, he also increases in his giving to the things of God, to the needs of God's people. And God sees in that person, an individual that is becoming trustworthy. God is going to entrust to us that which we administrate correctly. And and, and it's a wonderful cycle. It really is. It's a wonderful cycle. God entrusts a little with us, and we take that little, and we use it wisely. And part of that wisdom is giving generously. Then God entrusts us with more, and we administrate it wisely. And we keep sowing our seed, not to, like these prosperity preachers say, sow your seed so you reap a hundredfold and all that. No. We sow our seed for the benefit of others. God sees that. He increases our harvest so that we can turn back around and sow even more seed and be even a greater blessing to people. Do You see, I always like to look. Let's just look for a moment at Psalms and we'll close here. Look at Psalms chapter 1. It talks about the man who follows God's law, who meditates on God's law, it says, verse three, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf will not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. You know, I've seen again, I've heard these preachers use this about, you know, studying the word of God and you become a tree bearing fruit and about wealth and prosperity and all these different things. There's one thing I would like you to like to point out to you, young person. You ever see an apple tree eating its own apples? You don't, do you? What are the apples for? They're for someone else. And that's what I want you to see. Yes, God wants to take care of you, and He will. He can prosper you. He can give you a car and a home and and clothing. and, um, And even gives wonderful gifts that aren't necessarily necessary. He loves to bless his children in the same way I like to surprise my daughter with a toy. That's for sure. But what I want you to see is that we want to increase in prosperity in every area in our life just so that we can give more, so that we can be a greater blessing to others. And listen to me, all right? I'm going to grab you around the neck here. The, the happiest person on the planet, I've said this, is, is the person who just is giving. Now, again, not foolishly giving, but giving generous with their finances, generous with their time, generous with their words, words of kindness, words that edify. Um, so be that person. Not only for the glory of God, not only for the sake of God's people, but I can tell you this for your own joy: be a giving, generous person. All right. Well, uh, let's see. I want to. Uh, oh, let me bring up this point, and then we're going to look at one other thing. I guess I, I missed some things on my notes. Um, I just want to read something that I wrote here. The man who is able to acknowledge God's authority and submit to God's authority in the area of money and giving is most likely going to be a man who will acknowledge God's authority in all the other areas of his life. you see that? Remember money's like the big competitor with God in the hearts of most people and so the person who's able to submit even their handling of money to the will of God, will most likely be able to submit the rest, the other aspects of their life to the authority of God. And and so remember, in our text in Proverbs, this man who gives is a man who prospers. But And I believe he prospers because God sees his giving and God blesses him. But there's something else. This man who submits to God with regard to money, is probably going to submit to God in other areas of his life. And those other areas of his life that he submits are also going to contribute to his prospering. If he submits to God with regard to what God says about money, he'll also probably submit to what God teaches about the virtue of work. He'll be a hardworking man. He'll also submit to God with regard to restraints, regarding lust and wanton living. Sinful living. He'll also probably submit to God in the area of saving money. Yes, God talks about that too, of saving money. And so, because the course of his life, not just the way he does money, but every other aspect of his life, not perfectly, but he's seeking, like like we all do, he's seeking to submit every aspect of his life to God's will, he's going to prosper. Generally now, let's go um, to the book of Matthew real quick. Chapter six, I want to show you something. Remember when we talked about the love of money is a root of all evil. Well, I want us to look at something that is kind of related. I just want to talk about the heart for a minute. In chapter six. Uh, verse 9, we have what's called the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. The Lord said, you want to learn how to pray? Pray this way. Okay, So he says, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What was the great passion of the Lord? What was his passion above every other thing? His passion was. He lived for this. This was the beating of his heart. This is what the main thought in his mind The Lord's passion was this, that God be glorified, that God's name be esteemed above all other names on the earth, that his kingdom come. And that God's will, his his will would be carried out, would obey, that the entire world would esteem God, honor God, submit to his rule, obey his will, That's what He was all about. And that's what He asked for. And what you're all about is usually what you ask for, isn't it? This is what He wanted above everything. And then He says, give us this day our daily bread. And that's connected to the first petitions. What He's basically saying is, Lord, this is what I care about. That Your name be esteemed in this world above all other names that your kingdom advance throughout the world and in the hearts of every individual and that all men submit to your will. That's what I'm about. Now, Lord, I'm going to need to eat. So give me these other things just so I can work for the main thing. Do you see that? Give me bread because I need to I need to stay alive and to stay alive. I need to eat. Give me bread so that I can devote my life to your name, being glorified to men submitting to your will. And that's the way we need to be with regard to prosperity. Lord, prosper me in the things in which I need to prosper in order to be a useful instrument to glorify your name. And to help men come to understand their place under you and the salvation you've provided for them in Christ. So I want you to look at it this way. Kind of an extreme example, but I think it'll help you. Let's say that uh, someone suffers from a chronic illness that may be pain or some has some crippling effect on their body. And they're going to pray biblically. How should they pray? You said, well, they should pray to be healed. And then others of you would say, no, they shouldn't pray to be healed. Well, maybe they should pray according to this prayer. Lord, my great desire is that your name be hallowed, be worshipped, be esteemed. That your kingdom come and your will be done. Now, Lord, if that can happen in a greater way through you healing my body, then heal my body. But Lord, if through this brokenness and weakness in my body, somehow your name can be more glorified and your kingdom come in a greater way and then submit to your will with a greater depth and sincerity, then Lord, leave me as I am. Lord, if by prospering me economically, you can use me that, that you're... Your name will be hallowed, your kingdom will come and your will will be done Then prosper me economically. But Lord, if you know me and the plans you have for me and if if leaving me without that kind of prosperity will work better in my life to conform me to the image of Christ and to make me a useful servant and leave me as I am. You see, that's the point in, in all this. It's. Lord, what will bring glory to you? That's what I want. That's what Jesus is saying. Lord, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Whatever you give me, give me an order to do this. Whatever I need for this best happen, then give it to me. And whatever I don't need, take it away. Do you see, young person? This is what it's about. It's about him. All right, well. Boy, did we go too long. But um, I'll see you in the next study. We're still in Proverbs 3. You'll probably be like 35 years old and married before we get to chapter 4. But we'll see. All right? The main thing is that we're learning and that we're growing. God bless you. It's been a privilege. Thank you for listening to the Studies in Proverbs podcast produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about Park Cry Missionary Society.